0: You're wow. welcome. friend, it's been quite a while since we've had an episode of Dial-A-Drummer. I'm going to talk about that a lot later and uh, just know for now that for the last few months I've been banking a bunch of conversations that will become season number two of Dial-A-Drummer. But until then, and to get our feed really cranking again, I wanted to leave a really special thing for you. Uh, I don't know how legal this is, I don't want to make it sound more serious than it really is. Uh, As far as copyright and licensing, I don't know how legal this is, but I want to leave something for you in its entirety. If you didn't already know, if you don't follow my feeds regularly, last week we started a brand new thing. It's separate from this podcast. A brand new thing on Amazon's new platform called Amp. It's like a live radio app. And uh, I have a brand new show that's on every Monday night at 8.30 p.m. called Drum Corner Radio. And on that show, each week, we spotlight one particular drummer and talk about that drummer's body of recorded work. I play some of my favorite favorite selections from that drummer, mostly deep cuts, not the obvious tunes that you would normally think of. And occasionally, like this very first episode, we're going to have guests on either that particular drummer, if they're available, or someone who is really close to this drummer. And in this case, I got someone who for years was very, very close to this particular drummer. For episode one, my topic was Jeff Porcaro, probably my biggest influence when it comes to the studio drumming side of my career. thought it would be a great place to start and a great place for uh, a lot of my students who are listening to this show. Let them hear some of my favorite tracks from someone I consider to be the consummate studio musician. Anyway. Long story short, as long as I don't get a cease and desist, I'm going to let you, my Dial-A-Drummer family, hear in its entirety episode number one of Drum Corner Radio, just as it happened live last week on the AMP app. If you don't already have it, just in your iOS device, type in AMP in the App Store, go get that. And follow me. I'm easy to find on the app. It's at Brian Stevens. You'll get a notification every time the show's going to go live on Monday nights. Tune in. We're going to be opening up the line. You can actually call in, make requests, talk about the drummer that we're discussing that particular week. Jump in on the conversation, and uh, I can I can play your request live, which is pretty cool. As long as it's in the Amazon Music catalog We can play anything live. So if you're hearing this particular version of this episode of Dial-A-Drummer, You're going to get a real treat. So this is my buddy Rich Mangicaro, who at one time was the artist relations fellow for Peisty Symbols. He was my artist rep that got me signed to Peisty in 1997. And we're going to talk in this episode at great length about Jeff Procaro, and we're going to listen to our favorite cuts from this amazing, amazing drummer. Enjoy this episode, grab the app, follow me. Tune in live on Mondays at 8.30. And just know, in about two weeks, we're going to start up Season 2. My special guest to kick off Season 2 is none other than Carl Allen, one of the most prolific jazz drummers alive today. We had an incredible conversation. I'm looking forward to letting you hear it. But until that episode's out, please enjoy this surprise episode. We'll call it the last episode of Season 1 of Dial-A-Drummer. The first episode of Drum Corner Radio on Amazon's new AMP app. I think I've sold it enough. Enjoy. Enjoy. And welcome to the very first episode of Drum Corner Radio. I'm your host, Brian Stevens, and today we're going to talk about Jeff Picaro. And the whole purpose of this show and the reason why we're starting this show here on AMP really started from working with some of my students, Uh, a couple of them I see right now that are listening here on Drum Corner Radio. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Uh, The thing that I've noticed with some of my students that are all under 30, I would name drummers and talk about drum parts and play things for them. And they really didn't know who some of these amazing drummers were that I grew up with and that you probably grew up with. And so I thought, what's a great way that I could begin to do something that My students can listen to, that friends can listen to, that you can listen to. So each week, I'm gonna pick a drummer and we're gonna talk about that drummer, talk to him about his background, talk about some of the gear that he used, some of my favorite tunes, and and why they're my favorite tunes. And like tonight, we're gonna have a very, very special guest that we're gonna talk about this particular drummer's. Symbols and someone who uh, has the inside track on some great information for that. Anyway, let me just get us started with one of my favorite Jeff Beccaro tracks. There's a great record. It's the very first Michael McDonald solo record. And the track that most people know from this particular album is a song called I Keep Forgetting. It was sampled in the 90s for a hip hop tune with a Warren G. And, and I will play the Warren G tune and my students will know that. But that's not the track I want to play for you. About half of this album is Jeff Beccaro. And the other half of this album is Steve Gadd. And it's very easy to tell the difference. And at some point we'll talk about uh, maybe what the differences are in their approaches on this album. But I'm going to play a song for you to start off the show. And this is a tune called That's Why.
1: Look back, loneliness You won't see me behind you Head now, emptiness No more leading the way Go on, desperateness I don't need you beside me No more Come on, happiness I can feel you gaining ground Head now, foolishness I might keep you Go on into this. I won't look behind me no more. I don't rule you.
0: Is. That's Why by Michael McDonald with Jeff Picaro on drums. And as this is playing behind the scenes, I'm talking with my guest today. My guest today, let's go ahead and get Rich in here, is Rich Mangicaro. I've known Rich since uh, 96, 97. He's the reason why uh, I'm an artist endorser for Peisty. He's not the reason I started using Peisty, Jeff's the reason I started using Peisty. But the reason that, uh, that I got the hookup with Pisty and have been with them ever since and have been so happy is uh, this man right here, Rich Mangicaro. Say hello to everybody, Rich.
2: Hey, everybody. Nice to be with you.
0: So there are a lot of things about having you on the show that make this super, super special. Not only were you around and involved in the scene at the time, you were integral to what was going on with artists and Piesty during that whole time. So I figured if I'm going to talk with anybody about Jeff's gear and about uh, Jeff's life and, and the, the stuff that he did as far as sessions, I'd be hard-pressed to find someone
2: that would know more than you. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, we were we were very close. And we really, it's funny, we became close instantly. We had a bond that was uh, not just musical, but more familial. Both of our families are from a certain part of Italy a uh, very, very small region in southern Italy, and we we kind of bonded over that. Yeah. And um, I was very close with his father as well and uh, and his whole family. I really still am. So when we met, we met in 1987 or 86 or 87, I think it was, and I knew him until he passed. And um, we just became tighter and tighter as time went on until we lost him so early. But uh, out of all the artists I work with, as you can imagine, Brian, out of all of the artists, I, and I work with, you know, a lot of the greats, it always messed me up to know that, to know that I was working with Jeff Recaro because I'm a small town guy. (laughs) You know, I'm from Syracuse, New York. And when I was growing up, all of my bands, we all listened to everything that he did. He was a huge influence on me. So when I was in that position and I, you know, had to compose myself and, (laughs) and deal with him. And he took advantage of that. He, he, he loved busting my chops about, about being a small town guy. And, but we were very, we were very close. I was, I feel very fortunate. By the time you
0: met him in 86, 87, he had already amassed a pretty huge
2: amount of, of work. His discography was already huge at that point. Right. And he, he was already a Paisley and Dorsey but by that time I joined the company. There was a guy before me that I replaced uh, that was with Yamaha um, for a long time after Piesty named Steve Edelson. And Steve was kind of the, the, the early uh, days of Piesty America because Piesty became incorporated in early eighties, 81 or something. And I came in in 86 or so. And uh, Steve left and I, and I came on board as artist relations manager. So some of those artists had already been signed by Steve and Jeff was one of them, but Jeff and I just clicked immediately. At the time,
0: that you joined Piasty and you got to meet Jeff. Do you remember what symbols he was using
2: at the time? Yeah. I mean, at the time, at that time period, it was 2002s and 602s. Yep. That's kind of what was set up, but it, did, it just depended on what he was doing because he had a bunch of different setups depending on the session or the live gig. I think more live, he was using 2002s and in the studio, we used a combination of 2002s and 602s. But, you know, shortly after I came aboard, I was um, involved with the creation of, the signature line and he was instrumental at in helping us develop that line.
0: Oh, really? What do you remember what the things were that he was looking for as you guys were creating that signature line? What was he not getting out of the paisley stuff he already had or what sounds was he looking for to kind of stretch beyond what he had done?
2: It really wasn't so much that as I was the liaison between the craftsmen in Switzerland and the artists in the in North America. So when they started working on this line, it was a whole new alloy that no one's ever used before. Okay. So it had a ton of new sound characteristics. So what I did was line up the meetings in America uh, between Robert peisty Michael peisty and the artists. And we would meet different artists in different cities and bring prototypes and play them and together and see, get their feedback. And it was really eye-opening for everybody because it was a whole new sound. It was not a sound anyone had really heard before. Yeah. And I remember Jeff immediately saying, this is the missing link, especially the full crashes in the signature series. He freaked out over the full crashes. It was like the, his dream crash, Yeah, you know, and the sound edge hi-hats, which he didn't really use too much, but he was pretty impressed with that. But he was, he was really impressed with the, the range of this alloy because the alloy has such a wide range of frequencies from, from lows to highs and, and, a very balanced sound that signature alloy is an extreme, you know, you're an endorsing. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, so he was blown away with that. Immediately. He was like a fan immediately and full crest became his symbol.
0: Yeah. And and I've got, uh, I think I've got full crests in 16, 17, 18, maybe a 19 hanging out too. Like they're amazing because they've got all that high end and that shimmer that you would expect out of any Pisces symbol. But there's this lower kind of warmth to it that you might not get out of like a 2002 or even like a 602. Yeah, you know, right there, there's something about it. There's a body to it that's just completely, completely different. That's true. Uh, the, the 2002s were the very first hi-hat I ever bought for myself when I was in college. My first year of college, I remember saving up because I remembered seeing a picture of Jeff playing some 2002s. I don't know if it was – it might have been a live picture. And I just it, – it just – that particular logo is so iconic, that 2002 logo that it stuck in my head. The second person I saw playing those was Alex Van Halen. So by the time both those guys ticked the box for me, uh, I was like, okay, at the time I was 19, I'm thinking, I want to buy a set of 2002s two of my favorite drummers in the whole world at the time, use those hi-hats. Yeah. And I still have them to this day. They're downstairs in my studio, and they get used regularly.
2: Yeah, Alex was involved with this whole thing, too. And he he, he loved the six, the signatures, too, but he still kind of stuck with the 2002s with us. I mean, he he ended up uh, really liking that, that sound from – and he was influenced, of course, by Bonham, which yeah. – you know, after 602, his bottom went to
0: 2002. So I had asked you earlier uh, via email to, to give me a few of your favorite Jeff tunes. And one of the ones that was on your list was a Toto tune. One of the things I want to do as we do the show is play tracks that people may not have heard. Everybody knows about Rosanna. They know about certain tunes when we're talking about Jeff, but there's tunes that people don't know that they really need to hear. And one of those on your list was off of one of my favorite Toto records, the seventh one. It's Home of the Brave. What is it about that song that makes it one of your favorite Jeff Porcaro
2: tracks? Uh, you know, I, it was one of these situations where Jeff had invited me down to a rehearsal. And they were getting ready to go on tour. And uh, they were rehearsing that song. And he hadn't really played it really since the recording. So I was in the room with them when they were rehearsing the tune and the break there's a breakdown in the middle, which is just a fantastic breakdown. Do you know what, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just killing. So I was in the room when they were working on that breakdown and um, I was a fly on the wall watching him work that out and, you know, seeing Jeff Piccaro make mistakes and getting frustrated and let's start it again was really, I mean, I just felt like, wow, I'm so fortunate, you know, and it's just, a, it's just a burning, burning track. It's just a, I don't know. It's just one of those tunes that I just love what he did on it and how they, just a great rock and roll tune that is a great break, you know? Well, I tell you what, let's, let's let everybody hear that break.
0: We're going to sit here for the next six minutes and 40 seconds. And we're going to check out home of the brave by Toto from their album. The seventh one. All right, so that's Home of the Brave off the seventh one album by Toto and amazing, amazing drumming by Jeff Porcaro. A lot of people, you know, they, they don't realize how much Jeff can stretch until you hear him play on tunes or he's not just playing a basic groove and some nice little basic fills and stuff, you know? Uh, that's right. that's such a great, a great track. One of the other songs that's on my list, I know you have a story about. So when we think of Bruce Springsteen, we think of Max Weinberg. Max Weinberg has been on most of the stuff that Bruce has recorded, but there's a whole album where Jeff shows up. And the, in in particular, uh, the song that I had earmarked to, to play, Human Touch, it's another great example of what somebody brings to the table. You know, when you call a, a studio musician, you're not really just calling somebody to come in And, hey, can you play this beat for me? Boom, dat, boom, boom, dat. Especially when you're calling someone like a Jeff Beccaro, you're really calling someone to listen to the song and find what it needs. What does it need in terms of the groove? What does it need in terms of a very specific drum part that couldn't belong in any other song? That's why, that we played earlier. That drum part couldn't fit in any other song. And and Human Touch is another one of those where it's like the drum part's tailor-made for that
2: tune. So you were there for that session when they did that? So I'll tell you the story behind that. We had just introduced the Sound Formula line, which was... Kind of like the sister line to the Signature Series. Same alloy, some different design. And we had a pair of hi-hats that he really wanted. And he really liked these hi-hats out of the Sound Formula line. So um, he said, hey, listen, I've got this uh, session coming up. Bruce Springsteen's doing two albums back-to-back. And I've gotten call to do the this one. And it's at a Studios, which is now called Henson here in Hollywood. But um, at a and Studios... And uh, can you bring me some things down to try? And uh, so I went down to AM and um he settled on this one pair of hi hats, fourteen inch Oh man, it's been so long, Brian. But I would I have to say the mediums, I think it was a medium, fourteen inch sound sound formula medium hats. And um so we were in the in the room where the drums were, getting everything set up, get it he was doing a sound check, and then he goes, Let's go out in the back and there's an area And have you have you worked on A M before? No, I haven't. Okay. So there's a, there's an area in A&M where there's a little lounge in the outside, like a patio and this picnic table and blah, blah, blah. So he goes, let's go hang out in there until I'm ready. And, uh, so, uh, we went out there and in, in quintessential Jeff fashion, he rolled this big fatty and, uh, we shared a, a little smoke and, um, as, as David Crosby once told me it was an adult dose. (laughs) So, uh, I I had worked with David and he had said that I'll never forget that. But, um, so we finished hanging out and Jeff goes, okay, I'm going to go in and and he goes, and I'm walking with him. He goes, you know, Bruce doesn't allow anybody in the, into the, uh, into the, into the tracking room when he's recording. I go, Oh, okay, no problem. So, uh, I you know gave him a hug. We said goodbye, and uh, I wasn't in the session when he tracked it, but I called him later on that day just to see how it went. And uh, I said, "How was it?" He goes, "Oh, fine, man. First take." <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> so that that track that you hear on the radio, that song is first take, one time through. Goodness. So, like you said, when when Jeff, that's something that I don't think, and I've talked to. I've talked. We talked about this recently with with Jim Keltner on that tribute show that I was a guest on. There was there's nobody like him because he was able to figure out a part and and make it feel so good and and it be the perfect part. I mean, Lenny Castro's like that on percussion too. It's just the perfect thing for that song. That's why they who they are, you know, and that's why Jeff was so unique. I think, and I really think that to this day, if Jeff was still with us, he'd be one of the greatest producers we've ever had. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, he had a
0: huge set of ears, and it's pretty evident that Jeff was one of the first people that I ever noticed turning up on. This was when I was a kid. We're talking middle school. Like, he would be on albums. I just kept seeing this name, this drummer's name. And even before I knew I wanted to be a drummer, I just knew there was something about his playing that really caught my ear. And the thing that I noticed even back then and have learned so much from to hopefully make me better as a studio player is – how to hear all the way to the end of the song
1: right, with right.
0: just the very bare minimum that you're given. Sometimes you're just given a piano and a vocal or a guitar and a vocal, and you've got to very quickly decide what am I going to do based on what I hear in what could possibly be the end product. Right. So you're You're not making decisions just on the thing that's sitting in front of you. It's almost this, it's almost this ESP or this intuition that you have of what's going to be there by the time the thing gets mixed. Yeah, and, yeah. and it—if it, anything, it, it not only informs what you play, it also informs what
2: you don't play. Exactly. I was just going to say that where to use space, how to, <laughs> how to craft the the lope of the song, and and. And what not to play where, and and how not to utilize too much because you want to paint that picture. Yeah. So totally. Yeah.
0: Well, we've been talking about human touch. We might as well play it. This is off of this is the title track off Bruce Springsteen's Human Touch record, and here's Jeff Caro on Human Touch.
1: You and me, we were the pretenders. We let it all slip away In the end, what you don't surrender Well, the world just strips away Girl, ain't no kindness in the face of strangers We ain't gonna find no miracles here Well, you can wait on your blessings, but darling I got a deal for you right here Drawing wide from this blood It's just you and me tonight Tell me it on all- little pain you might need something to hold
0: So we're sitting here listening to Human Touch and also talking about Chicago, and we're talking about all kinds of stuff. I love this format. I really appreciate everybody that's tuning in tonight and listening here on AMP to Drum Corner Radio. My guest tonight is Rich Mangiacaro, who for a long time was the artist rep for uh, Piesty Symbols, and then he later moved on. Now you're working with Gong Bop? Yep. The percussion company. Right. And uh, for a long time, you you were good friends with Jeff, and you were there to see a lot of stuff go down. Yes. uh, You really get to see it in person. The one thing that I've learned the last 10 years, uh, because I've made it a point to try and seek out some of the people that I I really love their playing – and get real face time with them and not just seeing them in a trade show or something, you know, having a, a three hour lesson or four hour lesson where I sit with somebody and as much as anything, be able to get three feet away from them. And just J.R. Robinson was one of those a few years back, went out to LA for a couple of weeks and got about a half a day with Jr. And it was mainly, I mean, of course I want to see his studio set up. I want to see how he does the things that he does. But as much as anything, it was to be able to get three feet away from him and just go play something. Yeah. I just I wanna I wanna see how you make the sound that you make without the mics, without the processing. So I can only imagine with Picaro, what was it like to sit there and be that close to someone? What was the sound like?
2: How would you describe it? Well, he he used to say, it was interesting, because he used to say he was very particular about cymbals, but as far as the drums, he would, he wasn't as particular, although he's a Pearl and Dorsey, but he was, he was, he was more particular about the cymbals, but the drums, he, he would be able to, you know, get a sound out of anything. And that's because of the way he hit it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and his sound was big and it was round and it was um, articulate. And he just had a way of striking the drum, that had such conviction. You know, when we listen to our great, the great drummers, all the great drummers that we love listening to, whether it's Steve Jordan or whomever, I always think of Will Kennedy because he's one of my favorite players. There's a conviction with these guys. Yeah. You know, when they play, it's a, it's this, it's a, it's a precise conviction that um, brings the sound out of the instrument. And Dugu and I used to talk about that a lot too, and uh, the sound of the instrument. Bring the sound out of that instrument, you know, um, and that's what it was like with him, you know, with Jeff. And um, so he would he would get his great sound out of anything I heard him play on. He used to, he'd have like a couple different kinds of kits. I remember once I went and saw him at the Baked Potato here in Hollywood, and um, he had a brand new set of Brady drums he had just gotten from kelly brady in australia and he was so excited and i walked in the door and he goes man you get up here listen to this and then he started hitting the toms and you know these amazing beautiful drums i forget what kind of australian wood it was but he was so excited about it and of course sounded amazing that night i don't know if you knew this brian but he did not like doing solos and really maybe, yeah, when we were whenever we went and saw him, those of us lucky enough to be local and seeing him at the, the Baked Potato or any of the places in LA, he's not a solo guy. He didn't know. He just wants to groove with the band. Sure. And he can do a solo, like beautifully. Well, and of course. extremely he's got chops. He always had tons of chops, but that's not what he was that's not what he was about.
0: At some point, I remember seeing as a kid, remember seeing him sitting in a recording session behind a set of Gretsch drums. Yes. For some reason, that stuck in my mind. And again, what you see when you're young influences what you do when you're old. And I remember when I had enough money to really buy the drum set I'd always wanted, I bought a Gretsch kit. And the thing that was in the back of my mind was at some point I saw a picture of Jeff Procaro. And if I want to get the kind of sound or if I want to start heading in the direction to have any chance of getting the kind of sound that I'm used to hearing on records of his, Gretsch might be the way to go. It wasn't Pearl. It wasn't the ads in the magazine. It was a picture of a session with him doing the thing that he was doing. Do you remember that at all? Like anything yeah. ab- about him using Gretsch or something?
2: Yes. Uh, he had a Gretsch kit I saw him with once. And I don't remember the – which. I don't know if he had more than one. But I did see him with the Gretsch kit. I know he loved recording with that. And when he passed away, that Gretsch kit went to one of his sons. So I know his one of his sons has that drum set now. But that was a kit that he loved recording with. I do remember that.
0: Yeah. It's those tones and sounds and anytime I'm trying to get a sound for a record that I'm I'm playing on or that I'm producing.
2: Yeah.
0: But uh that's that's my go-to. That's my starting point is all right, well we're gonna pull out the Gretsch USA custom and see if that's it. Or right. you know, I've got a, a round badge kit. Like those, those classic tones. And, and he's definitely a direct influence of those things. And, um, we were talking about Chicago just a second ago. Um, the last two weeks I've had to spend a ton of time learning. I learned 45 Chicago tunes in a week and then had a whole week to rehearse them for two shows. And, uh, when, when we usually think about Chicago, we think about Danny Serafin And especially through the 70s and the early part of the 80s. But then there was a whole era once David Foster came in where he started bringing in session musicians. Right. Jeff was one of those people. And I remember as I was going through and doing my charts, one of the things that I made a point of doing was looking up who played on each tune. So not only did it help me in transcribing and understanding what I was meant to do. It really just put me in a different headspace, tune to tune. So, you know, if we're playing 25 or 64 or I'm a man, it's a very different headspace than if we're playing You're the Inspiration or some of these other things. And uh, so one of the tunes that I pulled for to play tonight, because there's some very iconic fills in this song and some interesting choices. Again, this drum part couldn't fit in any other song. You couldn't just take the drums out, you know, just mute everything else and record something else on top of it. It's too specific. It's the song Stay the Night from Chicago. And so while everybody's listening to this, I want you to listen. There's there's some fills in there, some 16-note triplet fills right next to this these duple figures. So you get a lot of do-do-do-do-do. Those kind of little fills that, uh, it was definitely a nod towards Danny because it has a jazzy sound to it. It's not your zh goo doo goo There's some of those in there. But there's definitely a few fills that I feel like maybe Jeff played because it was a nod to Danny, but it wasn't a direct rip, you know? So uh, let's, let's take a listen to this one. This is Stay the Night from Chicago. Jeff Percaro on drums, not Danny Serafin. I don't want
1: you to miss some. I'll save a time my mind.
0: So an unlikely place to hear Jeff Beccaro on a Chicago track, but that's one of them. That's Stay the Night by Chicago. There's a great book. You can't see it because we're on radio, but I'm holding it up. There's a book called It's About Time by Robin Flans. And in the back, she has a discography of tunes that Jeff played on. And it's 30 pages long. So one of the things that I did when I started going through this book is I started compiling a a Spotify playlist and just spending time. A lot of these were familiar. The songs I'm playing for you tonight were were very familiar songs. I'm going to play one that wasn't familiar at some point tonight. But for me, finally understanding what a studio musician does... It was around the same time that I got my 2002 hi-hats, uh, I remember Peisty put out some kind of periodical. It looked like a newspaper. It was like the size of a newspaper. And they had a feature that was on Jeff. And they did a partial discography. And if you can imagine a newspaper that's about the height and width of the New York times or, you know, the USA today or something like that. And this was the partial discography and it was at least two full pages. And we're talking early nineties, you know, maybe 93 or
2: 94 or something like that. You, you wouldn't have to remember you doing You got, that's right. I actually write, I used to write for that, that newspaper and you're right. It was early nineties and that was a beautiful thing. I, I still have copies of it here so i think i have all of them because i was one of the writers for that newspaper that was a great piece it was yeah it was it was just so eye
0: opening because um, you know, uh, most of the time, especially back then, the only way that you were going to be able to find out who played on records, kids, we didn't have the internet back then. <laughs> you couldn't just Google it or Wikipedia it or whatever. And so you either had to buy the album or at that time they had CDs. You'd have to buy the CD and look inside to see who played on stuff. So to have a resource like that, that you could go, oh, this ricky lee jones record or this donald fagan record or then you could go and and very expertly decide how you're going to spend your money to buy that album or that cd that was that was an incredible resource for me for years i probably still have it in a filing cabinet somewhere i'd bet uh but i know for years when i was in college that was a great resource for me to just start digging through and i don't ever think i made it through that list right there's too many tunes so that's a to me that's a testament to the greatness of 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 someone as a studio musician that and it was all over the map. I mean, my list that I have of tunes to play tonight, I'll just name a few folks off. You know, we've played a lot of different things, but still on my list, it, Christopher Cross, Dan Fogelberg. I have to play this Dan Fogelberg tune in a second because my wife's listening and that's her favorite artist. And uh, if, if I want to, you know, keep her happy, I'll play a Dan Fogelberg tune on my very first radio show. Right. (laughs) But Donald Fagan, Diana Ross, Elton John, probably the only cool songs on this particular Elton John album, Uh, Eric Clapton, George Benson, Jackson Brown, James Ingram, Lee Rittenour. Like you could, Alan Toussaint. Like there's so many people. Where do you think, the inspiration or the information came from for him to be
2: so versatile. Well, think about this, that he did all that before he was 38 years old. Yeah. First of all. And when he was in his early 20s, I believe, maybe he was still in his teens, but his early 20s, he became the drummer for the Sonny and Cher show. And at that time, and I, I learned a lot about Jeff through his dad, Joe Picaro. Um, I had interviewed Joe for magazine articles that I had written about Joe's career uh, for a few different trades. And I interviewed Joe and spent a lot of time with him. And they, you know, when they were kids, they would rehearse in, in Joe's house. And and they were basically Toto before they were Toto with, with uh, David Page and Steve Lukather and Mike and Steve. And they would basically have a ba- they had a band called I think they were called Stillwater and that was before Toto and then um Boz Skeggs got wind of them and brought them on board at his band and then they after playing with Boz Skeggs on that on some of Boz's very early things uh, then they formed Toto they wanted to have their own band but they were already all session players before Toto even formed but I think and what Joe and I talked about what Joe told me is that Jeff always had an extreme natural ability to hear it um, his technique was natural. He had a natural ability to hear a song and know what to play for it. It was just one of those gifts he had. He had it when he was young, right? And um, that's what he wanted to do. It's all he wanted to do. David Page and Jeff basically were the they started the whole Toto thing with with Lucather, and they all had this gift. They all had it.
0: One of the the tunes that I've got on my list to play, and this is a very very deep cut, and it really speaks to to just versatility and probably the influence of his dad, you know, Joe, the influence of Joe. I've got a, a track. I want to queue up called lover of love by Alan Toussaint. Oh
2: yeah.
0: Which if anybody, if you don't know who Alan Toussaint is, there's an entire world of music that will open up to you when you just listen to one Alan Toussaint record. Uh, it will lead you down a rabbit hole that you will appreciate me for, for a long time. Cause there's a lot of great music. This particular tune, Lover of Love, is Jeff on brushes.
1: Yeah.
0: And when you, when you think of uh, Jeff Beccaro, you think of halftime shuffles, you think of all these very iconic kinds of grooves, but brushes may not be something you think of. And this is a, a great example of, uh, of Jeff playing brushes and being really sensitive to a song. And I feel like what I hear is I hear the influence of his dad. Through this entire track. So let's let's cue that up. This is Lover of Love by Alan Toussaint
3: Lover of Love. Now that's the what you are no one in particular. That's your life. Joe, Jack, Jim, Matt Just anyone will suit you just fine Now before your life blows Somebody's gonna open your nose Just like the way that you have And you'll search for relief. you walk up and down the lonely streets. But comfort. Of love, now that's what you are. But I hope you come down from cloud nine. Meanwhile, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Not just hoping that you don't get lost. I am coming.
0: Different gear from a completely amazing drummer, right there, Jeff Picaro with brushes on "Lover of Love" by Alan Toussaint, and uh, I had to go pretty deep to find that one. Pretty deep. That's great, great track. track. I love that yeah. track. It's just, it's just such a great feel, and you can definitely hear you can hear Joe Picaro's influence. I think absolutely. Two things before we get out. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was you've got a brand new CD out.
2: I do. Called dialogues. Tell me about your CD. This is the uh, second record I did. Uh, my first one I did in 2018, uh, called Travels. It's uh, instrumental music. That on both of these albums I play the keyboard, all the keyboards, drums and percussion. I wrote everything. Uh, co-wrote a few things with uh, my music partner. I want to mention his name. His name is Jonathan Clark. He's uh, just a brilliant, best-kept secret in Los Angeles. He and I toured together with Glenn Fry. He played bass with Glenn when I was playing percussion, and we both sang background. And uh, Jonathan is currently playing uh, bass for uh, uh, Dwight Yoakam. So he's out doing Dwight Yoakam shows. But Jonathan uh, is my secret weapon. Um, when I come up with these ideas, these songs, and he can make it a reality. So the, uh, Dialogues was the first one. The second one I just came out with about a month ago called Dialogues. And it's a collection of different things. It's, uh, it's uh, A lot of it was inspired actually by kind of my emotional upheaval with uh, the pandemic. So some of it is a little more on the emotional dark side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, then there's some, some funk pop tunes on this record too. And then I, I dedicated this record to Joe Piccaro actually. There's a song called (laughs) Ode to Papa Joe. And I've done, uh, I've done my first video for the record for that song, um, which I played brushes piano on that tune. And uh, that was the first tune that I had completed and sent it to the Picaro family around Thanksgiving when I finished it last year. And I'm really proud of that. So, but the rest of the record is a, it's a blend of different, different textures. And so there's some ballads on it, some funk tunes, uh, some kind of world music kind of stuff, too. I'm really happy with it. And it's available. Both my records are available as CD uh, on Bandcamp, on my Bandcamp page, and then streaming in all the different platforms. So if they just do a search for
0: Rich Mangicaro, they'll find it. Yep. They'll find it. It's, it's pretty easy to run across. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you, ta- you taking the time to hang out with me and talk about the stuff and geek out uh, oh, in oh, between yeah. the songs. We've geeked out as much in be- you know, while
2: songs were played as we did in between the songs. So yeah, I really yeah. appreciate your time. It's great to see you. It's been a long time, and uh, I'm really happy you asked me to do this, Brian. It's, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back in touch. Yeah, definitely. We
0: will uh we will be keeping in touch after this conversation, man. I have had so much fun. And I want you to tell me, Rich, Calling Elvis. That was one of the tunes that you listen to in your top 3. What is it about Calling Elvis that you love so much?
2: Well, there's the groove that Jeff plays on this song, especially in the outro. Uh, Meshugana feel. Um I remember when he when he talked about this, he actually talked about this groove in clinics with very few clinics that he did because jeff didn't do very many clinics but he talked about this and demonstrated it a matter of fact you know that classic video that's out of jeff it's an instructional video i think there's like one
0: video yeah i have it on i have i have two copies i have an opened vhs copy and a completely sealed vhs copy
2: i loved it so much right on well that was with mike picaro and with david garfield Oh, okay. Right, and they did that as a trio, and Jeff demonstrates this feel on "Calling Elvis," and that's just always been one of my favorite things he ever did. And Jim Keltner and I talked about how great that is. That fantastic approach to that tune. To me, it's one of the coolest things he had done. Uh, I just, I just love what he did for that, for that song, and for that band.
0: Well, man, let's fire this thing up from the Dire Straits album "On Every Street." Featuring Jeff Picaro on drums. This is calling Elvis. <music>
4: Return a sender Dreaming like a fool Call a mailbox
0: That's Colin Elvis by Dire Straits. And, folks, that's the end of our show. I want to thank my very, very special guest for this debut episode, Rich Mangicaro. You can find out everything about Rich, including how to get to both of his albums, travels, and dialogues by going to richmangicaro.com. If you're listening to the recorded version of this, we'll have links below. You can easily get to that great, great music. And... If you're listening to this live, thank you so much for tuning in and being a part of this debut episode. We'll be back every single Monday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live on the AMP app. Please tune in live with us. Jump in. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking calls. We're going to be taking requests. We're going to be building in even more interactivity into the show. I really look forward to seeing you and hearing from you here on Drum Corner Radio. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you.